Hey guys, welcome to the FM Podcast. This is the first of a two-part thought around reaching your city. We're going to go into some biblical principles around the mandate, the mindset, the approach, and the risk for reaching your city. We hope this brings life and blesses your day and opens your eyes to see your city the way Holy Spirit sees your city. Be blessed. a combination of I don't know if y'all ever do this where like you'll just get a word you've got like a note open on your phone and you just like dump stuff you know so this is this is like a iPhone notes like dump of information that that I was like okay what does this mean it's like and I have a few different notes and then I'm for some reason I know which note to dump it in depending on what it is anyway so thankfully I'm not I'm not the only one thank you so I was as I was thinking about tonight, like this one note was like these questions. So um, the questions are kind of, am I being a good disciple of Jesus? What is my mandate? You know, what did Jesus tell me to do on this or that term? What does his word say specifically? I just, it started there with just like this pondering. And then it turned to, I just started thinking about Pascagoula. And it's like, how do I reach Pascagoula. Like, how do I reach the people? How do I reach my coworkers? How do I reach those around me, my loved ones? And, and I just started pondering that. And I was like, I just, I couldn't, it's like my mind just stopped for some reason. And I was like, what is going on? So immediately, Holy Spirit was like, go to the word. So I started remembering these, you know, scriptures that speak directly to it. And then it, it became, it quickly became like, that's what you're going to talk about, you know? So, so essentially it's how do we be a good disciple of Jesus? What are we supposed to be doing? How do we reach the city? How do we reach the loved ones around us? And then it was like, Jesus just said, I made it simple. I told you directly. Like when I was on earth, I spoke and it's been documented and written down in the gospel. Just read it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem, got it. So for that, uh, I'm going to start with uh, the word commandment. So in commandment, uh, the dictionary says it's a divine rule. And another definition is a rule to be observed as strictly as one of the Ten Commandments. So I found it interesting that just the normal Webster dictionary referred to the Ten Commandments. Um, so I'm not sure if that, that's really used anywhere other than biblical context. But um, that word commandment is kind of what started, started the thought. Uh, and I was like, why commandment? And then I, I went to this scripture. So Jesus was debating with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And they were talking about um, whether or not you know, there's a resurrection. So the Sadducees say there's no resurrections. Pharisees says there's are. And the scribes are just there. I don't know what they believe. Um, so Jesus is having this dialogue and conversation in uh, Mark. I'm in Mark 12. So I think from Mark 12, I think like 15 through 28 is where that dialogue is happening. So in Mark 28... It talks about one of the scribes, and, it, and this is where it comes in on Mark twelve twenty eight. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, 
So the scribe recognized that Jesus answered the question well, right? So I always find that's funny. So of course he did. He asked Jesus, what commandment is foremost of all? What is the most important commandment? So the scribe's like, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows the Torah back and forth, and he knows it to a different understanding. I, I agree with what he's saying. I wonder what he thinks the most important commandment is. Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength and is and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture asking him any more questions. So it's, um, I have to think it wasn't just what he said, but with like the authority he said it. So a lot of times in scripture, it says he spoke with authority and people kind of like backed off. Like, I, I mean, there it's, he was, the living word. He like he was quoting Deuteronomy here, which was written about him, and now he's in flesh speaking and repeating what Deuteronomy said. So I have to think there was this impact. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two most important commandments that Jesus says. Um, if you do those two things, everything else will be covered. And then he and then uh, Jesus told the scribe. Uh, you are not far from the kingdom because the scribe understood what Jesus said. So I think the first thing is to really understand what Jesus said. That way we won't be far from the kingdom here on earth, right? We want to be living in the kingdom. So if his understanding of those two commandments got him not far from the kingdom, that's where I want to make sure that we're not far and we're moving into the kingdom. So I want to talk a little bit about... Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I think we can, you know, don't have any other gods. Don't have an idol at your house. I think we, we get that one, but the love your neighbor as yourself. I want to talk a little bit about that. So who is your neighbor? Who should, how should you treat them? Um, that was the next question that came to mind. And I immediately went to a scripture that we all know, the Good Samaritan, right? So, but... I, we're going to read it and maybe something will stand out that didn't normally stand out. So this is in, uh, I'm in Luke now, Luke 10, 30. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, 95, by the way, if you're trying to follow along. Uh, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped and beat him. And he, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to that place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, <clears throat> but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine in, on them, and put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
On the next day, he took out two two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will return and repay you. Which of these three do you think uh, proved to be a neighbor to the man that fell to the robber's hands? Um, And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said to them, go and do the same. Um, I think the context of the Samaritans, so the Samaritan people, uh, Israel, 12 tribes, King David, King Saul, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, one nation. As soon as the Solomon's uh, Solomon's son of, come on, somebody help me out. Uh, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, right? As soon as Rehoboam became king, he he didn't play it good, right? So he lost ten tribes of the twelve tribes. They became the northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. So Assyria came and took over the northern kingdom of Israel. And they, they would assimilate people in cultures to where you would forget who you were, what your culture was, what your God was, and all that. They would take people from one place and put them in another place and let them cultivate the land. Take the people from that place, put them in the other area. So as two or three generations went by, you didn't know, you didn't remember your culture, you didn't remember your religion. So Samaria is one of those places. Assyria came. That was the capital of the northern kingdom. Assyria comes in and they just, they take over. They, they defeat the, the northern tribe of Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, and they put new people there. Those new people, just stuff starts happening. Like, it's just crazy. Because in that area is where, that's where the, um, the well that's where Abraham was. That's where the well of, of Israel was going back way in the Old Testament. So they were like, we need to know how to serve the God of this land. So they, had, they served God in Samaria, but they weren't viewed as the chosen people. They were people that were moved there that worshiped God. So the Jewish people, that's why the Jewish people, that's why they didn't associate with Samaritans. So for a Samaritan... Samaritans were treated like just garbage people by Jewish people. Like, oh, they won't talk to us. They won't get in the same room with us. They won't have anything to do with us. But this Israelite guy is being cared for by the Samaritan. So that's why when Jesus is telling this parable, it would, get, it would have gotten to people's attention. Because this isn't just like, oh, well, there was a priest and this guy and then another random Samaritan came by and took care of him. What does that mean? What Jesus was saying is... You need to go to the people that you think are unworthy of you talking to, and those are the people you need to take care of. Those are your neighbors. Those are, it's not the people that you like. It's not the people that you have stuff in common with. They're your neighbors, but even the people that you have nothing in common with, those are also your neighbors. So that's the context of that, and I think many times we don't, if you read the story, it's like, well, the priest didn't talk to him. He didn't want to be unclean. The Levi didn't talk to him or help him. He didn't want to be unclean. But the Samaritan guy didn't have to worry about it, so he just took care of him. But the context is, again, a Samaritan would like to... The way they were treated and the way the culture was at the time is like, oh, he's getting what he deserves. That would be the normal mindset. So for a Samaritan to do that, Jesus and then Jesus say, the one... Jesus said to them, go and do the same. He was telling them, go and treat your enemies 
the way the Samaritan in this parable treated your your people. Um, there, there's the story of the woman at the well where Jesus is actually in Samaria and he's, he's having this dialogue with the woman at the well. And in this dialogue, which we'll, we're not going to go through, I'll paraphrase uh, for tonight's time, but he's, he's talking to a Samaritan, which he's a rabbi. He's considered a rabbi. Rabbis don't talk to Samaritans again. He's sitting there talking to a woman, which the rabbis don't talk to a woman in this time, and he's he's having this open dialogue with her. And the scripture says that she's like, Why are you talking to me? And he's like, I won't talk to you. And then he just he's like talking to her and he's telling her all the sins of her life and he's telling her all these things. And but he's not judging her and she feels this love from him. And then he he forgives her of her sins and he says, I'll give you living water. She's like, I perceive you're a prophet. What what's going on here? And he's like, woman, if you, he says, woman, if you only knew who you were talking to, then you would know I, I have living water. I mean, she's like, how are you greater than our father who dug this well? He's by a well talking to this woman. How are you greater than our father Israel that dug this well? Uh, Jacob changed Israel. Israel dug this well. He's like, I. It's said that the Messiah will come, and he said, I am he, and then. Just her life changes, and I, I don't know what happened in that moment, but she believed, and her life just changed, right? So that's the, and then, so while all this is happening, Jesus said, I'm hungry. His disciples goes to get food, and then he's just sitting here talking to this lady, and she's, her life's getting wrecked, and she's going and telling the town, and they're like coming to see him, and the disciples show up, hey, we got food, and Jesus' is like, I'm not hungry anymore. Like, what, who brought you food? He's like, I, I've got food you don't know about, right? So, and then they just, they don't understand. And he's, and the people are coming and they're like, you need to eat. We've been on this voyage. He's like, and then he just, he's like, just stop with the food. I don't want to eat. Do you see what's happening here? These people are coming to me and they're believing in me and they're getting saved. So that's the context of this verse, which is something that I feel is for us over this city. So uh, uh, I am in John, I'm in John 4, somewhere around chapter 33 or 34. Um, John 4, chapter 30, or verse 33. So do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are, white, they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. And this is the part that, that I think is for us. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. That right there is what really spoke to me. And I'm like, because there's a lot of people that have prayed for revival in all this area. There's a lot of churches here that are old. There's a lot of, there's a lot of wells that have been dug in this area. But someone's got to pick up the labor. Someone's got to take that. Some, the wells are planted. The harvest is planted. And it's time for us to be the reapers of that harvest with our labor. 
So I just declare over us as a, as a body in this city that we are sent to reap that which we didn't labor for. Others have labored and we are entering into their labor. So that's something that, that really just impacted me. And as we move into that, we've got to move into that with, with the way Jesus did. Jesus impacted this woman that is like, why are you even talking to me? She was very shut off, like, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you talking to me? And he moved straight into that so strong that she immediately changed, ran into the city, and the city, by her excitement of what she was changed with, came and met him, right? So somehow we've got to tap into what he did. And, and I started thinking about like, Jesus, how did you impact this Samaritan woman so hard, so deeply that you immediately impacted the city? How can we have that on us? How can we represent that and immediately move into the labor that we didn't labor for and the harvest that we didn't, that we didn't sow? And the thing that, I mean, it just, it's just who Jesus is. It's just, I, I can't imagine. I just imagine they just were looking at him and he was, they're like, this guy is just pure love, pure truth, only good intentions. And there's nothing wrong with this guy. And this, he was just so believable and so true. And I believe that that's what we have to do to move into this promise for the city. Uh, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five. By all this, uh, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love is, love is a very general word, but if you love someone, you never have intentions of hurting them. We hurt each other because we're human and we make mistakes, but if you really love someone, you have no intention of hurting them. So some people mess, some people mess up and they had no intent of messing up. They do things that had no intent of messing up. So I think we, we have to recognize that we have to be very loving for one another, but we also have to recognize that we can mess up and hurt one another. And we all need some mercy and some grace to cover that. Because if we're going to be a unit representing Jesus with love, and we're going to be known as his disciples for our love for one another, then what goes with that love is mercy and grace to forgive each other and reconcile. And the best way of doing that is like, hey, I felt this. Like, I think you did this. I don't think you meant to, but I took it this way. You two can discuss it. You can work it out. You can reconcile. You can forgive and you can, you can move right back into love. Um, open communication is key when you're trying to be a unit, you know, impact in the city. So, um, there, there is one verse that, that, that I hold close to me. And 95% of the time, there's no intent, right? There's no intent behind it. We need to have mercy and grace. We need to love and forgive each other. But there is, there is a, a verse warning, uh, something that's specific for a body of, of believers that are trying to do something. In Titus 3, 10 and 11, Titus, 10, Titus 3, 10 and 11 says, Rejo- Reject the malice man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverting and sinning, being self-condemned. I think there, there's, there's times where someone, for whatever reason, has intent of disrupting 
what God is doing. He might not be trying to disrupt. He or she may not be trying to disrupt what God is doing, but that's the result. They may just have an issue with a person, but it's disrupting the oneness of the people trying to, trying to do something for God, right? So we need to focus we need to focus on love, mercy, forgiveness, and moving forward. But, but we have to be aware that some people have bad intentions. And you've got to be, you've got to be, you have to know what love is to recognize if mercy and grace is the right answer or if a conversation of, hey, you're stirring up discord amongst this team. Like, can we have a conversation? And definitely have that one-on-one or go to whoever's the leader is of whatever church you go to and try to have a one-on-one. And maybe this person will be like, okay, that's cool. I'm done. I didn't mean that. And they'll get in check. But um, the, the interest, I, I was listening to something that Bill Johnson said, and he was talking about bank counters. Bank counters learn to identify counterfeit money by only touching Years, notes, runs of real money. They never look or touch counterfeit money, which was just mind-boggling. I was like, I would think they would train them of what counterfeit looks like. But they don't. Like Bank counters only look at real money to where when a counterfeit comes by, it feels or looks or something's off. So they get so familiar with real that fake stands out. So we need to get so familiar with real love and mercy and forgiveness that the fake stands out, right? We don't need, what we usually do is we try to find what's wrong and what's fake and who's faking and who doesn't have the right intention and we judge them, right? Which is not what we're called to do. We're called to give love and be known by our love. So we need to shift our focus from trying to identify who isn't worthy of our love or who is coming and causing discord and we need to focus on giving and receiving love. And then the, the counterfeit, the fake, will stand out. And as we all move into that, then it, it really stands out to everyone. And what we, what we really need to be careful of is, is exactly that, of switching that mindset. We need to focus on giving and receiving love and let the counterfeit stand out for what it is. And then handle that in a loving way. Because Jesus said, oh, I didn't write it down. I didn't write where, I didn't write the verse down, but the, uh, where it's from. But it's, uh, do, not, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your, stan- by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you, look at, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye and look, and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. <clears throat> take first the log out of, your own, out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. To me, that's saying don't judge, focus on love, but the log to me is learn to love well and then the speck will stand out as counterfeit. So I don't... Did that, did that make sense? Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so that, that verse took on that new meaning to me. Like, 
Because I've read it and I'm like, what, what log is in my eye and what speck is in their eye? Why is a log in my eye and a speck in their eye if he's talking to people that are his followers and his disciples and believers? And I really think that it's tied to these two verses of you'll be known by your love. Like focus on your love. Get this log out of your eye of judging others. You're not supposed to judge. Focus on loving others and then you'll see the counterfeit specks that are amongst you. And then you can address those specs. Um, there's this, this thing, I guess, that I wrote. And it's it's kind of like this reminder that's in my phone. And every now and then I get to it. It's And I wrote this down just kind of get my mindset right. And I, and I invite you guys into this. It's, there is only one judge. We are not to judge. Scripture says we will be judged as we judge. If we love instead of judge, we will be judged by love. I know that's really wordy, but it's one of those things that it just develops sentence by sentence for me. And if I love instead of judge, then I will be judged by God out of love. And what that means to me is I will receive his mercy and grace for my sin that I give. I won't be judged by my sin. I'll be judged by his mercy and his grace that covers my sin. Um, the, the, last, the last piece of this that, that came to me this week, the last piece of this was what's at stake, right? I really, I really feel, I feel very strongly that we are being sent to reap that for which we didn't labor. Others have labored and we're entering into that labor. We enter in that labor by focusing on loving and letting the counterfeit stand out. And we're going to impact this city and we're going to make a change on the coast. And there's going to be a lot of people that just feel Jesus' love coming out of us that need that love. Um, but, but I feel like there's also a mandate to us with a warning attached. It's not like, it's not like God's going to beat you over the head. But there's, if we don't move into it, someone's going to move into it. And if we don't move into it, there's a there's something that we won't receive. So um, I'm going back uh, and I'm going to have to paraphrase this because it's long. I'm going to Numbers 14. Numbers 14, the context of this is the Israelites are in Egypt for 400 years. After Joseph dies, they're there. Moses is raised up by, in Pharaoh's house. He comes back. He sets the people free. The Israelites, they get to leave Egypt. And uh, they pass through the Red Sea. Moses is up on uh, Mount Hermon. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. God's presence is on there in thunder and lightning. They hear God speaking audibly to Moses, giving him the Ten Commandments. And then they, 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 now they're around camp where the Levitical law is being given. I think it was three years. They're sitting there. The, every time the cloud of God moves, they take the tabernacle down and they go move it and God speak. They're hearing God speak. They're seeing manna come down and be available to eat. God has told Moses to speak to a rock when they didn't have water in the desert and water came out. Like, you, you can't... There's no way you don't know God's real, right? Like, there's, just, there's no way they didn't know God was real. And God says, okay, it's time. We've got the law. We've got the Ten Commandments. Y'all are simulated. We've got you in the beginning of Numbers to this point in Numbers is them 
being put in how they will march out, how they will operate, how they will like basically stay clean. If someone's sick, there's like three chapters of how to handle that person being sick. So the whole uh, group doesn't get sick. And he's like, okay, we got through all those three years of stuff. Now it's time to go into the promised land that I promised your father Abraham. Gener- thousands, a thousand, a couple thousand of years before. You know, and they're like, yeah, let's go. And they send 12 spies into the land and the spies give a bad report. They're like, because they see these giant people, the Nephilim, the, the giant like Goliath, David and Goliath. There's like a bunch of Goliaths. There's real huge people there and they're like oh no we can't do it they'll kill us so they come back and they give a bad report um so they give a bad report and and moses is like it's just like we he's like but we can take it god is with us and they're like no we can't so then then all the congregation lifted up their voices after the spies came and they stirred up the congregation basically to like, we can't do it. It's doom and gloom. We're going to go in there and just get murdered and killed. We should have just stayed in Egypt. This is terrible. We hate you, Moses. And they just totally forgot about all God done, right? They just quickly just lost track of everything God did. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept all night. All the sons of Israel grumbled grumbled at Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them would would that we had died in the land of Egypt why didn't we just die in Egypt or that we had just died in the wilderness why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword and this is the part that I want to highlight our wives and our little ones will become plunder they did not do they did not walk into what God told them to walk into so they not only didn't get the promise for themselves, then they prophesied over their wives and their children, their little ones, that they would be plundered if they went in there. So they basically rejected the promise to go into the land and their children should have been first generation growing up in the promised land. But instead, they didn't get to go. They didn't, they, the parents didn't walk in, so the kids didn't get to grow up in the blessing. Joshua and the son of Nun, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, those were two of the twelve spies. They they came back and they're like, no, it's good, we can do it. So their response was, uh, they tore their clothes and they spoke up to all the congregation and of the sons of Israel, saying, the land that we passed through, <clears throat> the land that we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they will be our prey. Their their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. But all the congregation, all the congregation said, stone them with stones. So now two of the 12 spies is like, no, 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 don't do this. Like don't, Don't not move into what God told you to. Why are you not moving into what God told you to? Like, don't do it. Like, they were there. That report is wrong. Yes, they're big, but look at all that God's done. He's on our side. Let's go in. 
but it, they didn't. They wanted to stone him, right? So moving down some verses, and I'm sorry I don't have each verse. It's just all of the dialogue here. Um, so um, skipping, not skipping, but paraphrasing quite a few verses. God's like, get away from the people, Moses. I'm going to kill all of them. They're evil and wicked and they don't believe me. I'm going to, I'm going to restart with you, a more just and holy people. And then Moses, this was Moses, down a little bit in Moses. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just like you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquities and transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. So, you know, Moses is like, your word says that you're, you have exceedingly love and forgiveness and, and just you, you forgive. But there is a penalty if someone doesn't obey. So it's like, don't kill them. Let's just, let's just go back to the, you know, there being a penalty for them not obeying. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, which was his word. You know, Moses was just speaking God's word, which is anytime there's something coming against you, it's always good to go back and see what Jesus said and just repeat what he said. So, so the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of them uh, be spurned, any of them who spurned, who spurned me see it. He's, he's basically saying, I have pardoned them, but I have physically been with them in this camp. I have shown them miracles. I have given them provision in the wilderness and they have just rejected me 10 times and they just don't believe me and they didn't do what I said. I'm telling them, go into this land, I'm giving it to you and they haven't. So, uh, so, so moving down, it says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. All of your numbered men, according to the complete number from 20 years old and upward. All that have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come to the land which I, which I swore for you to settle in, except Caleb, the son of Japuna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, your children whom you said would become prey, I will bring them into the land. I will show them the land which you have rejected. But as for you and your corpses, they will fall in the wilderness. Your son will be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness. Until, the corpses lie, until your corpses lie in the wilderness, according to the number of the days that you spot out the land. Forty days you spot out the land, for every day a year you will bear the guilt in the wilderness. So that, that's kind of the, that right there is exactly what I want my children. Our generation, it's our time to walk in for the labor that others have labored, to reap the harvest they've harvested, that they, that they sowed, 
That's what we are supposed to move into. So for us to move into that, we've got to have love. And if we reject that love and we just focus on like, this is what they're doing wrong and they're doing, their, they're doing wrong, we're rejecting what God's telling us to do. We're rejecting his mandate for us. And what, break, what broke my heart when this, when this came, when, the, when I heard these verses and read these verses, is if, if I don't focus on giving love and, and letting love be my focus and letting God move through me, then someone else is going to get that blessing. But then I'm not establishing and moving into what God's called me to do. So then my son and my daughter, my sons and my daughters, spiritual and physical, they'll pay that price, right? Instead of them growing up as first generations in the, in the promise and the blessing of what I moved into, they basically have to wait for me to die before they can move into their blessing. They've got to wait till they get to age to make their own decisions before they move into blessing. When me as a parent, physically or spiritually parent, it's my job to move them, to move into that environment and create that environment that they just like get to inherit. They just get to move into it. So instead of them having to get of age and get of mind and get of maturity to move into it themselves, it's our job to move into that and just bring them with us. Because if we don't, our sons, they'll have to be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. For 40 years, the children of the people that rejected the promised land had to sit in the desert. For 40 years, from 20 to 60, just imagine me at 20 being like, go in the land, please. Why are you not? Great, you didn't go in the land. So until I'm 60... I've got to sit out in the desert because you didn't go in. So they, instead of being shepherds in the promised land, they were shepherds in the wilderness. And that, that just, that breaks my heart that if I and we don't move into this city with love, then the children of this city are going to stay in the wilderness for 40 years, metaphorically speaking, instead of moving into the promise immediately. So if we can move into the promise and what God's telling us to do, they get to inherit that, right? They get to move into that promise. They get to move in the promised land instead of being stuck in the wilderness that they're in. So I guess that's, that's my ask and that's what I really want you guys just to grab onto and just pray into is that we move into that love, we move into that promised land so they don't have to stay in the wilderness so they don't have to suffer for our unfaithfulness. It says they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses die in the wilderness. Basically, until, until we just, until someone else moves into that, until our spiritual corpse for this mandate falls out and someone else moves into it, they will stay in the wilderness and they will suffer for our unfaithfulness. And I mean, I, I think... For me, I know this is for me, that I must move into what God's told me to do. I must pick up the labor that everyone else has sown in the city, in this area. I must move into it and, and let that harvest be, be born. And, um, and I've got to do better than I've ever done. I've got to do better than I've ever understood of loving the log out of my own eye instead of focusing on these little specks like 
They don't have that thing like I think, so they're wrong. We are not supposed to do that. We are not supposed to be judged. If we judge, we would be judged by that same. If we don't give them mercy and we judge them, we don't get mercy. If, if we don't forgive, we don't get forgiveness. That's scripture, right? So we've got to love that log out of our eye and allow, and allow ourselves to move into that promise to where the people that are in the wilderness and suffering, they don't keep suffering because we're being unfaithful. They get to move into that promise with us because of our faithfulness and our focus on love. So that's what I want to share. That was way longer than five minutes. I apologize. Like 30 minutes it felt like. I'm sorry. 33? 43? I just spoke for 43 minutes? I apologize. But it was good, right? It was good? Y'all liked it? Okay, good. Oh man. All right. Um, Holy Spirit, we just allow we just allow you to let this word sink into us. The, these words that you spoke, whether it was your words or speaking through someone else, Jesus, they speak in direct alignment with me and what you're asking us to do. And I feel that it, it's you speaking very, very clearly of exactly what you want us to do and how you want us to do it and what's at stake. So I I want us to take this as you speaking to us very clearly through your word of this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to approach and do it. And this is what's at stake. So Jesus, we say right now that we are just going to move in to what is available to us. The wells that have been dug, the labor that's been poured in, we take that up and we move straight into that and we let that harvest just be reaped. We do that with just focusing on your love for this city and your love for us. And that's all we're just going to move into is just how much you love us and just love on the city. We're just going to be there for them. It's every person that we come in contact with, whether we understand them, whether we agree with their politics or their mindset or their culture. It doesn't matter. We just love them because we know you love them. We don't focus on what's different. We focus on how much you love them. So Jesus, just break our heart for the love that you have for them. And we just ask that you just bless us with a supernatural ability to just allow your love to flow right through us to them to where their excitement is the same as the Samaritan woman. They just can't help but get excited and tell everybody about what you did to them. It's through us, but it's you doing it. And Jesus, we just, we take it serious and we say yes to this mandate, yes to this call, and yes to this city. And we understand that it's our job to get this city and the people hurting this city out of the wilderness. And it's our job to let our faithfulness, let them move into their promise, to let them move into your love for them and what you have for them. Jesus, we declare that over ourselves in this city in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of FM Podcast. If you want to reach Freedom Ministries, you can find us on Facebook and Messenger at Freedom Ministries 2017, or you can email us at freedomministriesms at gmail.com. Be blessed.